0: Welcome everyone to episode 35 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. We're kicking along. We're almost at the end of season two, T.
1: I know, it's gone so fast, you know. I actually get really excited every week about the episodes coming out, even though I know what's in them and even though I've heard them and I've edited them and all that kind of stuff. But I do, I get really excited about the episodes because it's just so much fun to do this.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is great fun. I, I quite often listen to them on a Thursday. So get that because we do have them obviously ready and queued to go on the Thursday. So I listen to it the day before it comes out just to feel that little bit special.
1: Because you're an eager beaver.
0: No, yeah, no, just special. So today, today we're going to talk about Country Town AOG. You you have heard this referred to a few times it's sort of come in and out of, of T's story, but we're going to dig down a little bit deeper into it today and and talk about some of those things. Some of those things I think for T will be painful, triggering, frustrating, annoying. I don't know. I think there'll be a range of emotions.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. There was some really good times in there, though. There were some, some fun times. There were some hard times. And it was certainly a, a challenging time and a time that really stretched me. So there was a lot of growth. And I think it was actually the beginning of the end of my time in the AOG at all, you know or completely, because I just saw so much and I had these experiences and yeah it, it really changed me and it really changed the way I saw the whole movement.
0: yeah, it's that insider's view, isn't it? I mean you, you dug even that a little bit deeper than when we were at big fat hairy AOG you dug down into this one deeper and in the inner workings of it the you part of the opus day
1: yeah that's right <laughs> and also i think it wasn't just seeing inside the local church it was also seeing inside the state aog that you know that we that we lived in so seeing you know the the things that were asked of us by the state executive and some of that p- political stuff that was going on but definitely part of being involved in the local church at a leadership level and seeing some of the shit that the pastors genuinely do get thrown at them. And I say that saying that it's not always their fault. Some of the things that people expect of them can be quite unreasonable.
0: Tell us about some of that.
1: I think what, you know, the lead up to it really is where it all started. And I think in episode 32, where I talked about, you know, sort of being rejected by that family. And then my best friend ran off with my then girlfriend. I don't want to say ran off, but they hooked up, you know. Then they both distanced themselves from me and I said I was quite alone. And so I was feeling quite frozen out by them and youth and church became really quite awkward because I'd go along and I'd see them. And there was like part of, you know, wherever they were sitting, that that row or that group of rows was sort of off limits to me, you know, because they didn't want to be near me. And to be honest, I didn't really want to be near them either. And so I was feeling awkward and I wasn't exactly happy in my time, I was still quite upset by everything that had sort of happened. I was still at Bible College. And by that stage, a guy had arrived at Great Big AOG from another capital city. And he was a young guy, pretty much our age. So we're all in sort of our low 20s. And he was a pastor's kid. And he turned up to go to Bible College at um, the same Bible College as me. And so he was going along to Great Big AOG, and we're going to Bible College together. And we, we connected and we, we got along quite well. And it was, it was, you know, kind of cool. But then he started falling in with some other people who wouldn't necessarily be friends of mine or people that I'd want to hang around. And he started to get quite cold towards me at Bible college and also at, at youth. I think for me, there was a couple of things going on, you know, like it was like, there was this one group that I wasn't connecting with and, and he started to sort of rise up in the even though he'd just come in, he sort of started to rise up in the youth group and started to take on leadership positions and he and I weren't getting along. And then there was that whole you know, issue with my friend and, and my ex-girlfriend and stuff. And and I even felt there was a couple of times where this, this guy from this other state, I'll call him A, he was even kind of bullying me at Bible college. There was a couple of times where he'd sort of say nasty things and and it was just kind of like not fun and I really wasn't enjoying myself. And so at the same time, I kind of felt that the leadership doors at Great Big AOG, they just weren't going to open. It was pretty clear to me that I wasn't in line for, you know, for the next gig. I think A was was pretty much, you know, being groomed by that stage to get the the leadership roles. And yeah, it was pretty clear that it wasn't going to happen for me. So I think I was quite ready to to, to look for something else, right, because I just wasn't really cutting it or fitting in at um, Great Big AOG. So what happened was one of the youth pastors, it was announced in a Sunday service, and it was completely surprising to all of us, I think. Um, it was announced in a Sunday service that he had taken the position of senior pastor at Country Town AOG. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all, wow, you know, wow, really? Oh, you know, and there he was up the front and, you know, they're all, they were announcing it. And I don't know if they quite laid hands on him and sent him out at that point, but it was certainly this big announcement. And remember that he was also running the, the youth and, or, or the younger youth. And he was also involved in that street kids program that you and I were involved in. Of course. So after that announcement, he said to me, hey, let me give you a ride home. Let me let me drive you home, and I was like, "Yeah, okay." So his his uh, wife was in the car as well, and he's driving along, and he says to me, "Look, the reason why I wanted you in the car is because you know, as you know, I'm going to great uh, sorry, I'm going to country town AOG. I'd really like you to come as my youth pastor slash assistant pastor. That must have stroked your ego a bit, surely. Well, you know, B, that that's a big deal. Absolutely, to be asked to be a pastor or you know even a youth pastor and this was one of the high-flying people from great big aog going to take this and so it was it felt like it was kind of like a satellite great big aog kind of thing and yeah i I was i was stoked and it wasn't just stoking my ego it was also i felt like i could sink my teeth into something and also i could get the hell out of what was not fun at that stage
0: yeah it sounds like a, a perfect opportunity was it something you had to think about or was were you just like right this is god's timing
1: i didn't think about it no i think if i'd thought about it i wouldn't have gone you know <laughs> but it was like okay god's opening the door this is it you know i'm i'm having it offered to me by you know this pastor and yeah man I, I i i don't think i i thought about it for very long at all if at all it was just like this is it this is what i've wanted my you know whole church life was to be in ministry and to be a pastor and and this was it and this was for me even if I wasn't going to stay there super long it was certainly a stepping stone into you know ministry and even paid ministry I thought.
0: Yeah well we've we've spoken about this before haven't we that youth pastor is quite often that stepping stone and it's interesting it's seen as less important than the others (laughs) but the reality is you know you're you're charged with these young people that are developing these people that you can be incredibly influential in their life yet it's seen as doing your apprenticeship as a youth pastor but you know incredibly important and what was what did you have to do as the youth pastor though did you have to build it from nothing or was this something that you would go in and there was a here's one they prepared earlier for you
1: it had had, the church had had a really rocky time. It was a very small church. It was, I mean, it just felt very, very country. You know, you you wouldn't have seen it coming, you know. So I was in for a lot of culture shock when I got there because I was a suburban boy, two-car family, swimming pool, private school, the whole kind of thing. And all of a sudden to be thrown into this sort of country town environment um where there was a lot of unemployment a lot of sort of blue collar work it really yeah it really challenged me the the youth group hadn't been doing very well in fact i don't know that they really had much of a youth group there was another denomination in that town that had quite a big church a lot of the kids that would have traditionally been in in another aog in that city were really over in in this other denomination right so so it was like they had a great big country town, but it wasn't an AOG, right? So a great big country church. And then ours was this sort of, you know, little struggling one. But we were the heroes. We were the stars coming in from great big AOG, and we were going to turn it around. And we kind of did. But I didn't go right away. So the announcement happened, but I, I had to, you know, drop out of Bible college, right? So there was some sort of tying off of loose ends in that and, you know, finishing off the, I don't know if it was the term or the period or whatever was, was, the way that they broke that down. The other thing at the time that there was a state-based Youth Alive camp and I went along to that and so we still hadn't gone to Country Town AOG yet and we went along to this youth camp and the youth pastor from Great Big AOG who's going to become the senior pastor, let's call him Pastor, I don't know, Pastor L, all right? So Pastor L grabs me from the crowd and gives me the microphone and says, here, lead choruses. (laughs) Mm-mm. At a, at a youth alive camp it was like what you know so all of a sudden here I am leading the choruses at at the and it was like totally sprung on me there was no preparation nothing it was just here you go and I think he sort of gave up his own because all of a sudden now I was his protege and my success was going to be his success I guess and so there I was and I can remember it was that I had to, during during the praise, the sorry, the worship time, the slow time, I was singing that fire, Holy Ghost fire. Remember that one?
0: Yeah, and yeah. um
1: just singing that over and over again during the prayer lines. And it was just, yeah, it was full on. So I got to lead choruses. I also got the most nasty fucking case of food poisoning from a hamburger up the shop on that camp. I was leading the choruses and I farted right <laughs> and I mean it went for it was probably the longest fart in my life up to that point it went forever and okay. I walked over to a friend of mine this is a true story here I am at the Youth Alive camp leading the choruses right and it's now you know it's slowed down it's you know altar call choruses kind of thing and I do this fart and it goes on for you know what felt like 35 seconds mm-hmm. and I walked up to a friend of mine put the microphone down turned around and I said have I just Pooed my pants. (laughs) And he looks at me and he goes, No, you're fine. Cause I swear to God, I had followed through. So here I am. And, you know, one of the, from a youth pastor's perspective, it's a really pivotal moment. And I'm farting like a banshee and worried that I've shat my Dax. (laughs) True story.
0: I mean, it sounds like a spiritual attack to me.
1: Well, it, it could have been, but it was a nasty, nasty case of food poisoning. It turned into food poisoning where for probably about a week, I was I was in pain, you know those sharp pains you get from food poisoning. Had to go to hospital the whole bit. So this was this was the lead up, okay. And then it was a, a couple of weeks. I'd already hooked up with my soon to be wife, or one day to be wife. I shouldn't say soon to be. It was still a little way off. And so even though I was going to Country Town AOG, it was only a few hours drive from the big city where we were. And so we decided to have a long distance relationship, but lots of travel. So we were still going to see each other a whole lot, which we did. So yeah, I got, I got to the church. As I said before in that other episode where we talked about volunteerism, I was not on any sort of paid salary from the church, but I was getting money from that charity, supposedly doing street work, but really I was you know, doing the, the church. I got myself a job working at a service station three nights a week.
0: I remember this.
1: Yeah, it was graveyard shift. So I would go from um, midnight till 6am or 11 till 6am, whatever it was. And it was pretty, pretty full on. So three nights a week, I'm staying up overnight. And then I just sort of crash and get myself sorted and everything and back into a routine. And then I do a couple of days in the church and do, you know, youth and weekends and, you know, church twice on Sunday, etc. And so my body I don't know if you say your body clock, but it was, it was really out of whack because I was just doing, you know, nights and then days and then nights and then days. And, and I think, you know, you've, you've done something like that when you were in um, another part of your life, you know how it really upsets your, your body clock.
0: Yeah. I did seven years of night shift. It was absolutely horrible.
1: Yeah. And so, okay. So we got to this church, as I said, there was, you know, they'd had a rough time. They hadn't really grown very well. A lot of the well, I shouldn't say a lot of, some of the elders in the church, their own kids didn't go to this church, right? So they were elders committed to the, to the country town AAG and their own kids were off, you know, in the, um, in the bigger church or in other churches. So, so they weren't doing great. But what had happened is a whole heap of Potter's House refugees, right? So people that had left the Potter's House church, which is pretty culty. Right, and in oh, fact, yeah. I'd say hardcore cult, and they they had all sort of got pissed off with the Potter's House, and a big group of them, like fifteen or so, had all moved over to Country Town AOG, and so I connected with them pretty much right away because I had my revival center background and I knew what Potter's House were like, and so I took a lot of them under my wing pretty quick. But as you can imagine, they were very legalistic. And they were very hardcore committed. Let's go to church a million times a day, a million times a week. So we we had this instant committed gang and they were quite young. So the youth group kind of took off quite quick. What was the
0: expectation though of you as a youth pastor? Like what what was your day-to-day? I mean, you've talked about you you worked at the Servo for a few nights a week to keep you afloat. You were getting some money that was coming from that charity. What was the expectation of you on a day-to-day basis at Country Town AOG with the youth group?
1: Well, you know, be that Great Big AOG was all about performance. So we would spend a lot of time upping the performance level of Country Town AOG. We would spend time preparing the choruses and, you know, the sermon and getting, you know, getting the building looking better and organising the band and guitarists and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like it was all very performance focused. I would spend a lot of my time doing that and the cool thing was all of a sudden I was given the responsibility of not just leading the fast songs, Be I was all of a sudden allowed to lead the slow songs on a Sunday morning.
0: You know you've made it.
1: Oh, Fucking made it. Yes, there I was, you know, and it was in the midst of that early days Hillsong stuff, you know, all the Jeff Bullock, you know, have faith in God, shout to the Lord and all that kind of thing, you know, and um, Stone's Been Rolled Away. Remember that one?
0: It was a groovy time in um, church music, wasn't
1: it? Oh, yeah, it was big hits. And so I would spend a lot of my time preparing for the youth services, preparing for the Sunday services, but then I was also trying to build this youth group, right? So I was discipling these people that were in the church. And so I think I've mentioned this to you before that I started wording them up about, oh, you know, do you think maybe you should start wearing a tie on Sunday? Or do you think maybe you should start wearing a skirt instead of jeans? And so I spent a lot of my time prepping performances really. There was a couple of times where I was put in charge of the entire service. Yeah. And so I would have to build. You know the the agenda for the entire service or the theme or whatever. I can remember once the senior pastor went away for a weekend, so I had the preaching both the morning and the night. As you know, that was just like crazy big deal. Mm-hmm. But the church would—I don't think it was even a hundred people. Be you know, it was really small. Leading the services, preaching twice on a Sunday—that was a—that was a huge big deal, you know. And I was I was quite excited about that. I spent a lot of time doing that. I think also building the friendships with the youth leaders, you know, the people that I had sort of picked up to, to, and, and nominated to be youth leaders. I mean, they wouldn't have got a look in at Great Big AOG. They wouldn't have got a look in. But, you know, you work with what you've got kind of thing. And, but they were really good people, I can tell you now. They were really, really good people. And especially some of the ones that had come out of the potter's house, they had a kind of, you know, that sort of spiritual abuse vibe, you know, that they were a bit cynical and they were a bit sort of one-eyed looking at, you know, what's going on here, which was, which was good. And I, I vibed with that as well. So I actually made friends with some of those people that continued long after I left church. I became friends with, you know, or, or maintained friendships with some of those people.
0: You know, you've you've spent a little bit of time in country town AOG, you've come from Great Big AOG. What were some of the really evident differences between the two? Or were there?
1: Oh, first of all, socioeconomic. Great Big AOG, whilst we certainly had a broad spectrum of people across the economic sort of spectrum, I think down there it was mostly working class and a lot of unemployed people. Too, and there were people that were on a lot of people on benefits. I think too, and not all of it was unemployment benefits. I remember there was one guy came in one day and he said to the pastor, he said, "Oh, pastor, I think I'm the Antichrist. I think I'm the Beast." And the the pastor goes, "Yeah, well, if you were, you'd probably be brokering a peace treaty somewhere in the Middle East about now. So I don't think you are."
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and everyone knows that the Beast doesn't come until you know COVID ushers the Beast in.
1: Well, that's right. And, and also, I don't think that The Beast is going to hang around Countrytown AOG, do you?
0: Oh, look, it's a lovely place, but no, no, probably not.
1: Look, the youth group grew really fast. We started reaching out to some of the kids that were displaced and sort of broken. And I think my street work had prepared me for that, working with the street kids. And so they were a great bunch of kids. And I started to really care about them. I started to genuinely care about you know their well-being, but at the same time, amongst the adults, the church politics were really quite harsh. There was a lot of people who wanted to be running the performance like we had once upon it, well, like I had once upon a time. And all of a sudden now I was charged with running it. And there were some people that they wanted to be running it and they didn't necessarily want me to be running it. So there was a little bit of cattiness and a little bit of carry on like that. The other thing that happened was, you know, and I mentioned this in the, I mentioned this in the episode where we talked about volunteerism, is that I was supposed to be running this charity as well, down there, but not really. The the senior pastor sent me around to the different uh, churches and asked them if they wanted to join up with this charity if we started it here in, you know, in country town, and and um, they were all like, no, 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 we don't, and it was like, oh, okay. And so, you know, the the senior pastor thought we were going to come in and just rally everybody around. They were all going to come back to the AOG and we were going to go on. But of course, that, that didn't happen at all. And so they said, no, we don't want to be part of what you're doing. We're happy to be doing what we're doing. And then there was that whole Youth Alive takeover thing that I talked about once before as well. So I was told via the senior pastor that the head of the AOG in the state had said, we need to take Youth Alive back. From this other denomination. This other denomination had this big church and they had rallied all the different evangelical churches in the city or in the town together to run these big events. And they had it in a basketball stadium and it was a big deal and they were doing really well. But the AOG state executive were like, no, we need to take it back. We need to make it an AOG thing. And I, I don't know how that was ever going to happen because we never started to take it back. We never tried to take it back. We were just told that this is what we were going to do. And as I told you, that really rubbed me the wrong way because a lot of those, those guys, at least when I was in uh, church life, they seemed like really nice people. They were trying to do good things. And I was happy just to work with them. I didn't feel like I needed to take over at all but that wasn't, that wasn't the plan. So so that was hard to take. Well,
0: what do you reckon it was about the essence of it? Was it about a power thing? Was it about wanting to own that? Was it about theology?
1: Oh, no, it wasn't theology. It was totally just about wanting to own it. It was totally about, you know, Youth Alive is an AOG thing and we are the AOG, give it the fuck back. Mm. That's what it was about because it made no sense. They were already doing everything that a good Youth Alive program should do.
0: You were saying that a lot of the evangelical churches got on board and they all organised this and put it on together. Did Country Town AOG jump in and get involved as well?
1: Oh, of course, yeah. We got involved and, and I was invited to be part of the Youth Alive board for, yep. for, that, for that group, but, you know, certainly I wasn't invited to be the chairman. Chairman T. To be honest, if they'd given it to me, I wouldn't have known what to do with it. You know, because yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for anything like that. What probably would have happened is you could imagine Pastor L would have just stepped in, taken over, run it. He would have, you know, done the fast songs, the slow songs, the the sermon, the altar call, taken the offering, the whole bit, and we all would have sat back and gone, oh, that Pastor L, he's amazing. Yeah. He's yeah. just like a, another version of Pat Mercedes. That's what we would have said.
0: <laughs> we would have said that. Fast forward 25, 30 years and we wouldn't say that. Or would we? Who knows?
1: don't know. I haven't seen him in a very long time. Don't no, know where eh? he's where he's at, what he's doing.
0: Oh, he's a little bit ranty on socials. You can see him dropping some little sermons every now and then, that's for sure. So tell us about some of the some of those stories that you're you're talking about. There was power struggles within that people were wanting to lead from within. You've come from the city. Here you are, city boy, you know, helicoptered in. You're charged with taking this this space and driving it and no doubt trying to grow it because that's what you did in the AG. you grow it you can't just be happy with the status quo what were some of those stories what were some of those things that happened the interactions with people
1: one of the guys who was a thorn in my side he was like making his own christian movies right so he like he had a video camera and he would get his friends together and they would make Christian movies. Mm. I, I'm sure kids at school would make better movies than what this guy was making, but this was his ministry, right? I'm going to make Christian movies. And then he you know he wanted to preach and he wanted to you know lead the choruses all the time and all that. and and he just started to dig, you know, really dig at me, and you know he's talking about me behind my back and and it was it was like high school, you know, and it was really, really hard because I didn't want a bar of it. I didn't want a bar of any of that and he was just weird right he was just really weird and just really dorky and and he looked like Jehovah's witness if you know what i mean like you know just bad haircut mustache tie not that there's anything wrong with that <laughs> I maybe mean, i don't know i don't want to sound like a, a complete ass um, but he he was he was just you know he was just a pain in my ass and so he would sort of gather some of the young people Um, and go and have, like, Bible studies at his house, you know, at the same time where I'm trying to run a Bible study and and just shit like that, you know. And and that was hard to take because really what I wanted to do is I just wanted to iron fist. Boom. No, not taking any of that shit, you know. But I I wasn't allowed to, and maybe that was a good thing.
0: Diplomacy is usually the way to go, usually. Sometimes you do have to come in and um, definitely read the riot act, but diplomacy but you know how how did that work how did how did you feel you you were helicoptered in but did you have the backing of your senior pastor there to do stuff were you charged with driving stuff were you autonomous or what, what what happened there
1: well no I mean no I wasn't autonomous but I was certainly given tasks to carry out did he back me when it suited him so as I said I was getting a couple of days a week, a week salary from the charity. And I was supposed to be doing stuff for the charity, but I wasn't. I was just basically doing all that sort of church stuff. I decided to try and build a presence for the Street Kid program. And so I started going around to some of the different agencies in the town, knocking on doors and saying, hey, we're here. And this is what we want to do. We want to do. And it was was so... Oh, it was just so blustery and I had no idea. So so basically, B, it's like I'm going around to established social services agencies and saying, we're here now and we've come to take over or we've come to to do a good thing. And so they started asking me questions about abortion. Uh-huh. What's your organisation's view on abortion? And I was like, well, that's easy. And off I went on my hyper-right, great big AOG kind of rant against abortion yada 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 yeah and they sat there and they looked at me these these two women in in one meeting in particular and they must have just thought oh fantastic he's just hung himself he's just hung him you know and we're gonna we're gonna destroy him and we mm-hmm. called them the feminazis that's what we called them back then right i'm not yeah. saying we should have that's what we called them back then so next thing you know there's a bit of a scandal in the country town that mm-hmm. The Country Town AOG street kids program is pro-life and yada, yada, yada. So the community radio asks us to come in for an interview because they thought we've got a story here, you know, and, and they were aligned with a lot of the sort of more leftist leading um, social programs. Yeah. And so we went in for the interview and the guy throws the question out. So what's your view on abortion? And I was expecting the pastor to come in and go, well, you know, and, and just give the typical evangelical position, right? On, on abortion. Yeah. And I watched him duck and weave and give these sort of non answers in a way that was, now you may say was really smart because he was sort of smoothing things over. But for me at that moment and where we stood, remember how, you know, we thought as evangelicals around something like abortion. Yeah. I was really disappointed because I thought you've just betrayed what we're supposed to be about as an organization. Now, again, I want to make it clear. It's not where I'd sit now, but back then I was like, aren't we supposed to be straight up? I mean, this is what we believe. And I knew what he believed but he went on the radio and basically gave these sort of non-answers and didn't sort of nail his colours to the mask. Now, kudos to him that he smoothed over that whole drama. But at the same time, I looked at him and thought, what's going on here?
0: Yeah, well, he was certainly a good politician by the sounds yeah. of it. You can give lots of answers that aren't answers and duck and weave. So that, that seems to work. So what was the fallout from that or was it smoothed over and you were able to keep g-
1: going forward? Yeah, it was smoothed over. You know, it's, it's funny telling that story because looking at it from where we sit now, you know, I, I, I just wouldn't have been involved in that kerfuffle at all, right? It just never would have happened. Yet I, I kind of felt somewhat betrayed and I kind of felt like we were being hypocrites. That's probably the word. It was very hypocritical what we went in and did on this on this radio show. That for me was like a little bit of a uh okay you can stand up for what you believe in or you can know you know pick your battles and all that but when you go in there and really give you know on radio and really give the apparent point of view that isn't really your point of view I don't know be uh, am I am I being silly even thinking this now I just kind of felt like it was really hypocritical yeah look I'm not sure I mean
0: maybe he was trying to protect the space a little bit more and not be too controversial. And uh, I really don't know. I mean, I wasn't there, but I can certainly see both sides. I mean, back then, I, I, I would have thought the same way as you, though, and thought, why the hell isn't he owning this? Because this is a very clear thing. As a Pentecostal, you do not believe in abortion. Like, it's, it's really, really clear. When I look at it, obviously, from the lens I have now, I can see exactly what they did. And why they did it, if you're going to restore some sort of relationship within the community and some sort of influence, you don't want to come across as that hard-ass, hard right, because it just polarises people. But um, completely get why you would have been disappointed, because I would have been too. I would have felt betrayed.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's really how I felt. So that happened, and that left me sort of going, oh, okay, and sort of smarting, you know, because it was like there was no conversation either about, look, this is what we need to do and this is why we need to do it. And maybe even if there had been, I still wouldn't have understood. But, you know, we had some things that were non-negotiables as Pentecostals, and one of them was, was abortion, right? So, so mm-hmm. that was that. The other, the other thing that happened was I decided to put on my own little Youth Alive <laughs> rally, really, um, and so I did this down at the beach and of course I, you did. Yeah, exactly. That was tea, right? So I, I basically did my own little thing and I called it Bayrock, right? Uh, and Yeah, yeah. So what I did was I got some Christian bands from around the state and I got them to come in and, you know, we paid them very little, but we paid them whatever that was that they asked for, but it wasn't very much. And we got up the back of a truck and we went to the foreshore of, of, of a beach nearby and we had this big concert and YWAM came and did some performances and, you know, some some different bands were there. It was huge, you know. And we had country town churches from all around the region turn up for this event. A lot of people from Great Big AOG drove down. I don't know if you if you came along. It was a it was a it was a big deal.
0: I, I knew it was on, and I remember not going, but I don't remember why. Don't take it personally, but I remember I didn't go. And I remember people talking about it though, saying how good it was. Yeah,
1: of course it was good. Yeah, because I did it. Oh.
0: yeah of course
1: (laughs) so it was a big deal okay Mm -hmm. and and it went really well the youth group was growing people were coming I was expected to preach I was expected to lead choruses I was doing all that stuff that that a good youth pastor did and I even you know we even had a youth camp and I was thinking oh look our, our group is quite small so I reached out to a friend of mine at a suburban AOG and said hey can we join up for your Youth camp, and the, my Bible college principal came as the speaker, and we had these two youth groups together, and you know there was praise and worship, but at, at, at the camp, and all of a sudden, I was the one that was expected to sort of get the Holy Spirit to fall, mm. and and he didn't. Right, <laughs> we sat there for ages <laughs> singing the same song over and over, and the same line over and over, and it just didn't happen. You know, as as well as some of those great big AOG youth camps that we've gone on where you just have to, you know, the ooh I don't know. It wasn't, did we not have good enough musicians? Was it, you know, was it me? Don't know. Didn't happen. Great camp. Had a good time. But no, no ooh-ah.
0: It'd be um, interesting to see why. Let's see if we can pick that one on you.
1: Yeah, well, I think it was because I wasn't a real Christian. That's what people would say, wouldn't they? Now (laughs) they'd say, yeah, because he's gonna go off and make podcasts. (laughs) But I remember that. I mean, like, I had other times where it had sort of happened, but Mm. I can just remember being at the youth camp thinking this is what's gonna this is what we're gonna do, you know. Didn't happen. But you know, it was it was a big deal. The Bible college principal was there. We had, you know, quite a large group of kids because we had the two the two churches together. Yeah, it was it was it was a good time. So I think in a lot of ways, in terms of being a successful youth pastor, I ticked a lot of the boxes, B. I really did. You know, I, I tripled the size of the youth group, or even more, possibly. We'd had, you know, successful camps. We'd had, you know, little outreach rallies and, you know, et cetera. I'd gone on the radio and, you know, and pissed off the social, social program people. I'd done everything that a good AOG youth pastor would do.
0: Well, well done. And what sort of period of time was this? How long?
1: I was there for about a year. Okay. Yeah, I was there for about a year. And the thing that kept coming back to me though was I just didn't fit. I just didn't fit in this town. And I didn't fit the mold, you know, of of what they needed in that town. They really, you know, it's it's country town AOG. They needed a good country fella or a good country girl to really run the youth group and really understand these kids. I mean, like I said, I was from a, you know, middle class private school, swimming pool, the whole, you know, I just was not made for this. Even though I could run a good production, even though I could run a good performance, I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of communicating and connecting to that to that community. And And I can really see that now. But at the time, I just felt like I was constantly coming up against these walls, you know. And then at the same time, the senior pastor was very controlling and very flexible with the truth. You know, not just on the radio, right? But it, with other people. And a, a prime example was when I did the Bayrock thing. The group of kids from the smaller, sorry, from the larger Pentecostal church came along, and Pastor L went up and talked to them. And then the next Monday, he comes to me and he says, "Oh, did you see those kids from the other from the other church? Oh, gee, they were up themselves. They were this, they were that." And he was really bagging them out. And then he said, "You know, yeah." And I I told their parents, what they were like. And then he said this to me. He said, but I'm afraid it's going to get back to their pastor that I'm bagging them out. So what I want you to do is I want you to ring him and I want you to tell him what those kids were like. So that way it's coming from you and it's also coming from me. Mm. And that way it's not going to look like I was... Just run, you know. I can't remember if he said running off my mouth or whatever, but he basically was orchestrating, covering his own ass for dissing someone else's you know, youth group, right? Yeah. Swear to you this really happened. So he made me ring this other youth pastor, and I did. And you know what the other youth pastor did to his credit? What's that? He said, why are you ringing me telling me this? It's not your place to tell me this about the kids in my youth group. And just called me on it. Good on him. And I was in absolute shame, you know, because I didn't even think this. I didn't even believe this about these kids. I had no fucking idea. Mm. And I just crumbled. And I hung up the phone and I said to my girlfriend at the time, I said, this is what just happened. And she said, you were stupid. You should never have done that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but the senior pastor asked me to do it. I was just left with egg on my face and he got away, you know, with, Oh God. And that was another moment where I just went, where am I? What am I yeah. doing here? Who is this person that's run, got me running around doing these stupid things, you know? And so I started to pray and I can remember I was, you're praying to leave. And I yeah. can remember I was in the service station one night. I was cleaning the the glass on the, on those big drink fridge doors. Oh yeah. And I said, And I said to God, I said, when can I leave? And I had this sense, soon, right, Mm -hmm. came back to me. Now, this is something interesting because this actually became quite meaningful later on. That I actually stopped and I said, yeah, but you said you were coming back soon, 2,000 years ago. (laughs) What the hell does soon mean? And for me in that moment, as you can imagine, later on, it was an unpacking and a deconstructing and going, what does soon mean? And why did he say he was coming soon? In 2000 years, he was a no show, et cetera. But even then at that moment in the fridge, I'm thinking to myself, that doesn't add up. And it was like this theological moment in the midst of my own struggle with the church and what had been happening in the church. It was, it was a p- pivotal moment for me, theologically and emotionally. And then I hung around for a couple more months and then I'm announced that I was leaving to the senior pastor and he was telling me that I shouldn't go and it's a yep. mistake. And some of the elders said to me that I shouldn't go. And one elder's wife actually berated me for leaving. But I couldn't turn to them and say, he does this and he does that. And you know, you you can't do that, right? Because it's just not the done thing. And so I was I was miserable and I was getting shit for leaving. But I decided To go back to Great Big AOG, I decided, I made the decision with, you know, consultation with my soon-to-be wife and her parents, who were pastors, right? And they said to me, just keep your mouth shut, just leave, don't worry about it, everything will sort of work out. And so I did. I made that decision to go And left, and I lost the support of a lot of people that I had good relationships with, especially the elders. I never had a great relationship with the pastor, as I said, I just didn't trust him, and there was all that stuff going on. But it was it was kind of hard and kind of sad to go after feeling that I was connected to these people, and they were saying, "No, you know, you're making a mistake."
0: And it all comes back to the fridge revelation.
1: It all comes back to the fridge revelation, exactly right. Now, what happened down the track though? As I get back to Great Big AOG. And the other youth pastor, who's like an assistant pastor slash youth pastor, he says to me, okay, you're back. Fine. Just sit in the, in the audience for a while. Don't be involved in any sort of ministry. Just sit. Just give it some time. And my girlfriend's friend who actually worked in the state AOG office, she said to my, to my girlfriend, tell T to keep his mouth shut and his head down. And just, just get out of there. I thought it was just general general advice, but it actually became clear to me later that she knew something. Yeah. And she knew that stuff was going on. So I had put in my credential for an Assemblies of God ministry, you know, to become a pastor. That was all, you know, in play. But I think what had happened was I think that Pastor L, I think he was worried about what I knew and what I'd seen. And I think yeah. he knew deep down why I was leaving, even though I never said it to him. Right. And I think he was afraid that I was going to go back and tell everybody what I saw. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make it clear I never saw anything illegal. I never saw any, you know, mismanaging of finances or anything like that. I'm not making any sort of those charges. It was just, it was just shitty and it just wasn't good. And it's not the kind of things, you know, that you would do with people and the way you treat people. And th- I think what happened was he went back. And I think he went back to everybody at Great Big AOG that sort of mattered, and he told them his version of events. Mm -hmm. So while I was told to keep my mouth shut and not defend myself in any way, at the same time, he went around and just started running me down to, to everyone. And I know that for a fact, because later on, a friend of mine came to me and said, did you know that Pastor L actually tried to get you kicked out of Bible college when you went back? Because I went, I went back to Great Big AOG, I started Bible college again. And Go so on. someone in the know had come to me and said that your senior pastor from Country Town AOG went to the principal, said all kinds of things, and tried to get you kicked out of Bible college. Now, here's the thing. Why? Mm. You know, like I, I'd gone back. I was keeping my head down. I wasn't telling anyone anything. I guess he didn't know that. Mm. But at the same time, he actually tried. So he was not just trying to destroy me in great big AOG, he was trying to destroy me in the AOG movement as a whole. I don't know what he thought I'd seen or what yeah. he thought I was going to say, but 100%, that's that's what he did.
0: Pretty vindictive.
1: Yeah, it was horrible. So later on, he had a big kerfuffle with the elders and ended up leaving that church anyway. And I don't know if they asked him to leave or if he just left, but after that happened, some of the elders of Country Town AOG reached out to me and said, we're sorry. Mm. We're sorry for what we did to you when you left. We're sorry that we didn't you know, support you. And that elder's wife that had berated me, she specifically came and put her arms around me and said, we're really sorry. And so something happened and I don't know what, but something happened between him and the elders and it all exploded. I, you know, I was long gone by then. I'd even left the AOG, but these people tracked me down and apologized, which was really kind of nice because yeah. they didn't treat me so well when I left.
0: Would have been easy to track you down given you had an ankle bracelet on from the AOG state executive as well?
1: Yeah, well, that's right. And so, I, you know, I withdrew my uh, ministry application, you know, to to be a minister in the AOG. And that, that's another story we can tell a little bit later on. Uh, but I didn't do it right away. But it as it probably turned out, I wasn't going to get it anyway. Because no. when I look back at the fact that this person had, you know, even gone to my Bible college, I'm sure this person had gone to the state executive and withdrawn his, you know, reference for me, probably told them why, whatever those reasons were. And that state executive secretary who came to me, not the secretary on the state executive, but worked in the office, came to me via my ex and said, tell him to keep his mouth shut, tell him to keep his head down. So she knew stuff had gone on. Mm. She knew it. And so, yeah, I, I started to hit a lot of closed doors back at Great Big AOG. And I didn't know why, because I hadn't done anything wrong. You know, mm. worst thing I'd ever done at Country Town AOG is making out with my girlfriend in the back shed of the house. That was it. That was as, as bad as it got.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I remember, and we've reflected on this before, I remember when you came back, you were on the nose. Like there was something about whether, I can't remember anything specifically being said, but things had gone a little bit weird at Great Big AOG. (laughs) I was definitely involved in that weirdness. You'd come back with a very different lens. And I think we sort of flipped that around and it was like, what's T doing back?
1: I do hear you. It was, I I came back having been changed by that experience Mm -hmm. because, you know, a year away from Great Big AOG, all of a sudden I was in this small town. I was seeing things at a ministry level. I was seeing things at an state executive level that just made me go, this isn't what I signed up for. And yeah. so it definitely had changed me. It definitely made me a lot more cynical to the goings on, but I was still a hundred percent committed to the faith. I was still a hundred percent committed to Jesus and to building the kingdom and all that. Like none of that had, had come undone at all. It was just, I don't like what's going on in this denomination. I don't like what's going on in this church. And I just didn't fit anymore.
0: I reckon it had started to come undone for you, but you didn't know yet. Maybe you were in a bit of denial. Who knows? You don't reckon it was starting to unravel a little bit for you?
1: Well, I think I said the other day when I was talking with someone that the moment I joined was the moment I started to leave. Because yeah. you find things out and you learn things, and so yeah, I was starting to unpack things, but not the core doctrines, not the no. core beliefs. It was you know these other things, you know, like tongues or whatever it wasn't. it wasn't about you know, is, is Christianity true, but that certainly happened later on, as you know.
0: Mm, absolutely. We will definitely unpack. The next stage of when you did come back to Great Big AOG in another episode because it was a, another chapter and it was a weird time and I think it was a weird time for you and I was right on the precipice of a very strange time for for me as well so I think it's where our lives collided a little bit
1: yeah well we were both on the edge of leaving but for for different reasons and heading in different directions and so I think something yeah something really weird was happening at Great Big AOG at that point and they had a lot of problems with leadership and problems with the youth group and all that. But, yeah, let's unpack that in another episode. But I, I just hope this episode hasn't been too boring for people, you know, me just sort of talking about what happened to me at, you know, Country Town AOG. But I, I did think that it, it was it was a pivotal moment for me in the, in the direction that I went, and I felt like it needed to be unpacked.
0: Look, it was a very important part in your journey, so I completely agree. I think it was a
1: –
0: given that this was probably given – fridge revelation um was the start of you know the next revelation. yeah yeah that's what we're going to call it you know this definitely did i mean it led you on to the the next stages of what really did become you unpacking a lot more and questioning a lot more eventually and i think this was some of the early stages of it
1: yeah that's right it was it was a being of a deconstruction but thinking about that you know yeah soon but you said you were coming soon 2,000 years ago. You know, it was like I was questioning God going, what do you mean fucking soon? You, you don't mean what you mean when you say soon, you know. What the hell does soon mean?
0: Well, soon has a different meaning when you've got eternal eyes, brother. I just I, I feel that you're questioning God's wisdom.
1: Yeah, that's right. Days a 1,000 years, 1,000 years is a day. That's just the biggest fucking cop-out ever. You know, I mean, even, even that verse, B was actually, you know, there's a lot of people that would argue that that was written at a time when people were saying, where is he? Why is he not coming back? Oh, okay, quick, write this one in. Let's, let's yeah. you know, make this one from the Apostle Paul or whatever.
0: But that was a bit of fun, bit of fun bouncing that around. I hope it hasn't been too tra- traumatic for you. I hope it's been something that you are able to uh, deal with as the shit comes up, and I know that this is one that needed to be told next week, though. Next week, we've got C. C is telling her story about how she was involved in ministry in Christian city churches, CCC, or what is now C3 or Stairway or whatever it's become. I'm not quite sure it's had that many name changes, but it's really interesting to see from another church, another great big mega church, really, about someone's experience from within and someone who was on staff.
1: Yeah, she was on staff. She was on paid ministry for, for quite a long time. And so she's got some real stories to tell about the inner workings and what she experienced inside CCC or C3. I always want to say C3PO whenever right. I say C3. But she's, she's got a lot to say. And her story is actually quite sad and quite tragic in, in how she felt she was treated at the end of her time there. So it'll be interesting. So it's not great big AOG. It's great big C3
0: yeah and it's it's definitely a a really interesting one it's some some good conversation there so looking forward to sharing that with everyone
1: very good i'm going to cue the music b kick it so there it goes thanks for paying attention and asking me the questions you didn't ask me how did that make you feel
0: i purposely didn't ask you that i'm keeping that one for next week maybe or the week after Perhaps. i'm pr- Yes. Fuck you.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. (laughs) I'll see you next week. Peace.